Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, congratulations. You're about to arrive to the right place. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to the Ellen and Aaron Sportsbook Are you ready for it? Now, here is Ellen and Aaron. All right, it is Friday, uh, March 25th, 2022. It's the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Podcast. I apologize for the slight audio di- uh, technical difficulty there a moment ago. Uh, we are live here tonight. Uh, love to hear from you. If you have a few free moments here this evening and would love to uh, be on the air, uh, we are live at 516-418-5572, and we would definitely love to, uh, to hear from you. Uh, we are, of course, sponsored by Chef G's Barbecue Sauce. It's so delicious and addicting, you may just need a support group. And tonight, we're going to be that support group for the next hour or so. And we can't have a full group, of course, without having Alan on the line. So, Alan, uh, good evening. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking, Aaron. Really great and having a, a fantastic day and a fantastic time. Well, I hear uh, tonight uh, you have been uh, – part of a special event. Tell me a little bit about that and tell our listeners a little bit about that here tonight. Yes, absolutely. I've been, uh, I went to this event. It's called the Cigars, Bourbon and Whiskey, and it's been held here in Ebor. I found about it online and man, I cannot tell you guys how wonderful an event this is to support the city of Tampa, support Ebor City, Ebor Baseball Museum, Hall of Fame, and we, I'm going to put a lot of the pictures and video up. You'll get a chance to see yourself. But, hey, we had Wade Boggs in the house. We had Lou Pinella. We had uh, some great celebrities here. And it's been awesome. And uh, one of the things about this event, it is not my mission to have Lou Pinella inducted into the Hall of Fame. He missed it by one vote. Wade Boggs said that he should be in the Hall of Fame. He said it several times. And now that is my mission. So much so that we're going to bring Lou Pinello on our show, the Allen and Aaron Sports Radio Show. You're here from himself to bring awareness to this. But you know what? We need to get Lou Pinello in the Hall of Fame. Guy's a Tampa native. Great guy. All baseball. In fact, Aaron, what are your thoughts when you think about Lou Pinello? Well, I, Lou Pinella, I mean, you think about all the teams he managed over the years. Uh, so he started with the Yankees. He was in, in – really in the footsteps of Billy Martin, um, took over at the end of the Billy Martin era. Um, did a great did, – did a good job. Um, obviously, the Yankees are not a very good team at that point in the late 80s. Uh, then he went on to the Mariners, and that's really where most people are, are most familiar with what Pinella did. Um, those teams with Griffey and a young A-Rod and Randy Johnson and uh, Jay Buhner and really that turnaround of that team in the mid-90s where they were able to build a new stadium and stay – in Seattle, and then of course um, he managed uh, Ichiro in his rookie season in 2001. Had the Mariners uh, very close at that point to go into the World Series. They won 100 and, 114 or 116 games in 2001, 
And of course they came up a little bit short that year to the Yankees in the uh, league championship series. And then just two years later, he ended up moving on to Tampa and uh, managed the Rays for, uh, I believe it was three or four years. I think he was there from 03 to, I want to say 2005. Um, took a couple years off, was in the broadcast booth, uh, went to the Cubs, um, had some success uh, with the Cubs, and then retired in, I believe it was 2010. But he has over 1,800 wins. In my book, I mean, that's a Hall of Fame manager career right there. You managed four or five different clubs. Um, with the exception of Tampa, he had pretty much pretty good success everywhere he was at. So um, players love to play for him. And probably the thing about Luke Pinella that most people remember, too, is his, uh, you know, fiery mentality with, uh, umpires, you know, getting in their face and throwing the hat down and kicking the dirt and, you know, just having those kind of moments. So, um, Lou Pinella, I mean, if you love baseball, if you love Don Zimmer, if you love, uh, you know, any of those type of people, Lou Pinella is right in that same category, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. Lou Pinella is a guy that is, you know, when I just think about baseball and his career and everything he's done, not just as a player, as a manager, you know, this is a guy that just lives and breathes baseball. And, you know, I don't want to spoil a lot of stuff that he said because you'll get a chance to hear it and see it on our website on the Allen and Aaron Sports Radio Show. I'll put up the, the interviews. The thing about Lou that's just so cool is that he said he's a winner. You know, I could be, he said, I could be cool with somebody. I could see them before the game or after the game. We could have a drink. We could hang out, say hi. But during that game, I was thinking about winning. I was competing to win. And he even said today's player, today's players, he feels as if they're too, too social, too sociable, too friendly. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being, you know, sociable with somebody and being friendly. But when you're on that, that field, that baseball field, you're there to, to compete. And that's what Lou embodied. My goal is to help him get in the Hall of Fame. I told, I told Lou that. I'm a man of my word. We're going to have him on the show. You'll hear from Lou himself. And you know what? That would be a great thing to have Lou inducted in the Hall of Fame, a Tampa native. We got you back here at the Allen and Aaron Sportsnet Radio Show, Lou. We're going to take care of this for you. Absolutely. And I want to make uh, one real quick uh, correction, something I said there before. He was with the Yankees, of course, initially 86 to 88. And then, of course, he managed the Reds. I don't know how I overlooked that. He managed the Reds from 90 to 92 and won the World Series with Cincinnati in 1990. That was uh, the last time the Reds were a World Series winner. So, um, but yeah, we're definitely looking forward to having uh, Lou Pinella on the show. Great baseball mind. One of the, one of the, I'd say one of the top managers in the last uh, probably 40 years, uh, definitely, uh, without question. So, um, not quite the same as Lou Pinella, but tonight we have our good buddy Lou. Uh, holding on the line. And, uh, Lou, I want to bring you on here tonight. Um, how are things going for you? Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never got to know. Two uh, moves. But, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Two moves, man. You know, that's – Yeah. That's, that's, you know, I can't wait. I can't wait you, know? you have my uh, – I'll be calling it that night for sure. <laughs> yeah. Lou, Lou is, a, is a really cool, down-to-earth guy. You know, I know yeah. you see the arguments and stuff like that, but that's just a fiery competitor. And he even said right. that's just my competitive nature. But you know what, Lou? Mm-hmm. We need to have yeah. to talk to Lou because we need to get Lou on our show. The man said he's yeah. going to come on the show. I'm going to make sure we make that happen. 
and we we need to get him in the Hall of Fame. We need to get that one more vote. We do. It's, it's one number two. You have to get him in the Hall of Fame. I mean, with the career he had with the Yankees, why shouldn't he be in there? I think I think he got I think he's gonna be jipped all these years. I mean, yes, you know he has a rotten, he has a lousy temper that I'm aware of, but you know he can't do any ways on off you know on the field. Put him in already. It's about time. Exactly, I couldn't agree more. Like, okay, he's a, he's a competitor. He likes you know he he threw some tantrums on the Nothing field. Like that. Nothing like that. Yeah, right. I mean, I know nowadays that would be frowned upon big time. You know, you would get ejected nowadays with a, in a heartbeat. But still, it's, he's old school baseball. That's what he does. And you know what? He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Yeah, so we're going to get him on. We're going to make sure that you speak to him. I'll, I'll put on the – I did do an interview with him. I didn't – you know, we didn't – but we're going to do about that more when he comes on the show. And I'll put that on the show. But definitely – Lou Pinella, Wade Boggs, both of them, great guys, great guys to hang out with. I mean, these guys are just drinking, having a good time, man. It's, it's cool to hang out with baseball players, you know, Aaron yeah. and Lou, because you get a chance to see how these guys really are in the element, you know, just having a good time, mingling with the crowd. Yeah. And, and it was it was really cool, man. This, this, that's a cool thing now that things are opening up. We're having these cool events again. I can't I can't be ecstatic enough about that. Yeah, it's it's definitely a neat I thing to be able mine. to Yeah. It's definitely a neat thing when you get to either, you know, mingle in person or speak to somebody uh in an interview like we've been able to do. It's this has really been a great thing for us the last two years or so. So so I'm looking forward to this uh this new new yeah. interview that we'll have coming up here soon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh we're gonna make that happen and, and that's that's a great guy, Lupinella, man. And um, definitely, how you been, Lou? How's things been with you? Well, we just saw history tonight the, the, at the uh, tournament. Yeah, St. Peter's. Tell the everybody. First, uh, for, uh, go ahead. I'll let you, I'll let you break the news. <laughs> okay, if you college basketball fans out there, we have just seen history tonight as St. Peter's goes to the Elite Eight. First time a 15 C has ever gone there. They beat Purdue. Wow. Wow. That is definitely groundbreaking. Cinderella wow. What do you think on that? <laughs> and I know you, you died and chipped in and say something. What do you, what do you think on that? Well, I mean, uh, look, the, the, the Cinderella is, is getting to the, to the Elite Eight. That's something that you don't see happen very often. And, of course, a 15 C, that's, that's – uh, Lou, you may know this better than I do. Um, you know, teams that are ranked that low getting that far, it doesn't happen very often. So, no, it doesn't. I mean, this is even better yeah. than Zaga did when they went when they went to the, the Elite Eight. They were only a ten seed. Wow, wow. So that is definitely something very impressive. I love the, the underdog story. I know a lot of people have their favorites. Yeah. They, you know, they have the Dukes. They have. You know, the, yeah. the big-time programs. But I love it when an underdog gets in. I think it, it makes it, you know, yeah. it makes it more fair. And I, I look at it like this. It's great when an underdog gets in because when you are a big university that has infinite yeah. amount of donors, infinite amount of money, it's, you can get the best talent. And when a, a small team, 
a team that you don't expect gets in, it gives the smaller guys hope. And that's what I love. Yeah. You know, if you're trying to be if you're trying to be a, a top recruited player, you're gonna to try to flock to some of the bigger programs. Let's call for what it is. In most yeah. cases that's what you're gonna do. And it doesn't give some of the smaller guys an opportunity. There's just so much t- if there's a you know, talent is not limitless. So I love it when the underdogs get it. What are your chances, Lou, what do you think of, of their chance of going far in the tournament? Well, hey look, they knock off three of the top Seeds, I think that this team is, you know, is really under something special here. And now we await the winner of this uh, next game tonight. I mean, it's, I mean, it's a given now. People are going to know who St. Peter's is. You know, they went from a small school, which nobody knew about except, you know, here. Now they're going to get a lot of notice. Yeah, this wow. reminds me of wow. uh, Florida, Florida Gulf Coast a couple years ago. that They did something somewhat similar, but yeah. not, not to the same degree, so... Yeah, that's awesome. Nobody man. expected this. Yeah. <laughs> so this is one of the things that, that the bracket did, did, did. Lou, did you get the bracket right, or is this one is something that came out of blue and shocked you? <laughs> no, I'm sure among 97% of everybody else that they um, did not take this. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, there's always going to be a Cinderella that Usually, in most cases, make it. I know last year we didn't really have that, but it's always great when you have a team where no expected to get through. It, it, yeah. Those are the type of teams that they make moves out of. Yeah, I don't think anybody, you know, this, this has been a whole year of upsets. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so that's cool. So, what do you got cooking on your show? No, we're going to be talking about this now for sure. That's going to be one of the top things on the, on the list here. Um, you know, we'll also do the NHL trade deadline, um, the NFL free agent frenzy going on. Uh, we'll also take a look at spring training. Uh, we'll take a look at tennis because there's been a lot of tennis news um, uh, going on lately. And they've even so we're gonna take care of that. Uh, we got some uh, UFC news. We got some breaking news on that. For those of you who've been paying attention to the sports pages today, and yes, we're even gonna talk a little. Do I dare say it? USFL. Oh boy. Yeah, we're gonna discuss that too. So brace yourselves for this because it's gonna be a very interesting, a very strange show. By the way, tomorrow is a special show uh, from five to seven uh, p.m. Uh, I hope you can make. I hope you can make it. Uh, the number, of course, is five one two five four three four six six two. Same time, everything. But tomorrow uh, is a special show. Uh, I don't know if I'm actually getting any details or not about because I uh, told everybody if they call in, you know, I'll explain to them, you know, when the show airs. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but it, it sounds like you got a great lineup there. So from yeah. Saturday. Five to seven, Eastern Standard Time Zone. Make sure you support Lou. Well, and definitely, I don't know uh, if you're going to come in tomorrow or not, so I guess I can tell you guys. Sure. <laughs> Go ahead, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll give you a hint. It only happens once a year. Ooh, okay. Uh-oh. Your birthday? Thank you. Thank you. There we That's go. All right. I thought you guys said it. So it's uh, Lou's 21st oh, birthday tomorrow. Awesome. All right. 
Yes. That's awesome, man. But just call in, but just call in, play dumb. You know what? That is really cool, man. Your birthday's on a Saturday. That is that's awesome, man. And and you have to share. I don't know if that I've ever done a show fantastic. on my birthday or host. I don't know if I've ever hosted a show on my birthday, I should say. I've been on shows on my birthday, but I don't think I've ever hosted one on my birthday. You know what? That is really cool, though. And definitely, that's fantastic. You know, happy birthday to yeah. you. Happy 21st birthday. That's, that's awesome. He's hosting a show on his birthday. <laughs> you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of, like, when A-Rod hit a home run on his birthday. That's how pretty cool is that? Yeah, I watched that, that pretty too, cool. when he hit a home runner's birthday. You, did you see that, Adam? Yeah, I, I, I remember that. Uh, that was in, let's see, what yeah. year would that have been? 2010? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he hit a home runner's birthday. I'm like, you know what? That's going to be really cool. You know, I mean, I guess he would rather he'd rather play on his birthday. You know, I know that would make him happy rather than have the day off. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's awesome, Lou. Yeah, so uh it definitely is. No, I hope you can call in tomorrow. I, I will call in for I will pretend you didn't hear it though. I will call you do, pretend you didn't <laughs> Yeah, but please okay. don't <laughs> Okay. Okay. The only one that's supposed to know is Diane. Diane and Alan and Aaron got up it hit itself the the hat side of the bag is one of the one of the three of us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The only one, the only one supposed to know is Diane. That's all. But yeah, that that's awesome. So you make sure. For the record, for the out. record, that's my girlfriend. All right, she, she's a, she's your girlfriend now. I don't think you said it before. I thought I mentioned that. I thought I mentioned her on the show before. Okay. I mentioned well, her very definitely. Well. That's cool. That's awesome, yeah. And your show ends early enough Saturday. Your show ends yeah. early enough Saturday for you and her to go out. Yeah, well, I think it's uh, maybe maybe before I start the show, it might even be better. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Business yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. for pleasure, right? <laughs> right. There you go. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, that that's cool though. That is really cool. I'll make sure I call in tomorrow on your birthday. Yeah, home. happy birthday. Happy birthday, Lou. Uh, or yeah, a day early. But, um. yeah, last, yeah, last year, I, I think though I did call this show in on my birthday last year, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, you're always welcome, Lou. And I will make I sure I we keep you up to date. Last year. Okay, I'll make sure we keep you up to date when Lou Finella comes on the show, too. Please do. Will do, buddy. And, and give him the phone number one more time. I don't have the sheet in front of me because I'm, I'm leaving the event now from Ebor. Okay. Any any for Lou Pinnell, if he cares to call in, it's 512-543-4662. I don't know if he will or not, but if you find, you can give him the number. <laughs> All right. Sounds great. <laughs> awesome, Lou. I appreciate you. We yeah. appreciate you here on our show tonight. All the time. Thank you. Yeah, Lou, thank you. You're so welcome. Again. Uh, I was, it's always nice to have be Have a great birthday. So, uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's you always great to have you as our guest. No problem. Thanks. You're Take care, Lou. All right. So our good buddy Lou here tonight, uh, and again, from the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk podcast, 
a uh, early happy birthday to Lou. So, uh, Alan, I know you're uh, you're heading out of the event now. Obviously, a great time that you had there tonight, and always good to be able to get to these sorts of things. You've been to a lot of places this year already. Uh, the Daytona 500. This event here tonight. You've been to several boxing events. Um, but the the show must go on. We've got a lot of news to get to here tonight. Um, NFL, yeah. Major League Baseball. As we already talked about, the uh, big shocker in NCAA here tonight was uh, St. Peter's uh, going uh, as a 15 seed and knocking off a number three seed. Um, I want to start, though, with some NFL stuff. Um, you know, it seems like every week there's a new big move that we are going to be talking about, and two of them happened this week. Um, kind of a little bit of a surprise with uh, Deshaun Watson going to the Browns. I guess we knew about this a week ago, and they introduced him today, and I, apparently there was some kind of strange um, vibes, I guess, uh, from the press conference. Did you get a chance to watch any of that? I didn't. I apologize. I did not see the press conference, but I did hear that it was really a strange a series of events he got in finalized. His contract was all guaranteed, which is unheard of, which is a huge, mega, mega contract, all guaranteed by you. By the way, which you never hear of in football until now. And then all of a sudden, I thought it was a done deal. Then all of a sudden, it was like, it wasn't official, it was official, on and off. I usually never heard that during a trade. Usually when a trade is done and a guy signs the contract, that's pretty much it, barring a physical. But it seemed like there was so much, you know, things going on behind the scenes that we didn't know about that really shook up the thing. Well, I didn't get a chance to watch it. Uh, I just saw some of the headlines, but I mean, this was like, just, there was a lot of awkwardness from my understanding, and I'll, I'll have to go back and, and actually take a look at it more closely, but all the headlines that I was seeing was, it was just a very odd, it wasn't a conversation like you and I are having right now. It was a lot of strange looks, and um, I get the feeling that it's kind of similar, at least in terms of the awkwardness, to when uh, Adam Gase took over the Jets. Now, he may not have been looking around the same way at objects on the ceiling, but it was some uniqueness there. And I think a lot of it probably had to do with all of the allegations. And then there was another uh, grand jury that decided they didn't want to proceed with indicting him. So I'm sure there were some questions about that that came up. Um, but from what I understand, it was a very, very peculiar, awkward moment. Um, and uh, the, the the weirdness or the awkwardness in the room was very, very noticeable. Um, it wasn't something that was subtle. It was very noticeable. Um, but you, you made a very good point there. The Browns are really putting their whole reputation and franchise on the line by giving him a guaranteed contract, all that money guaranteed they're really putting all their eggs in one basket at this point, um, you know, with um, with bringing him in, because if it if it works, great. But if it fails, then you know you're, you're looking at probably several more years of being a really mediocre football team. What do you think about that? That's a great point, Aaron. This is one of those things where you're putting all your eggs in one basket and hoping you make it to the destination of your choice. Because if it works, it's great. If it doesn't work, it is catastrophe. This move here will set you back literally at least five to ten years. Because not only are you paying him all this money, if it doesn't work, you're going to have dissension in the, in the locker room for sure. 
You're going to say what happened? Because, yes, you didn't have a stud in Baker Mayfield, but you didn't put all our eggs in one basket like you did with Baker Mayfield either. And this is the thing where they have moved themselves in a position where they have to win a Super Bowl, I say, within three years. And you can't say this is a long-term four- or five-year deal because you got to win it within three years. And I don't know if the Browns have that type of team to win it within three years. But I hope it works itself out. But there is a lot of, a lot of I would say, questions. Number one, how is Deshaun Watson going to handle all this negative attention? Because he will have some negative attention. You know, the media is not like us here at the Allen and Aaron Sports Radio Show. They'll keep hounding him about the same questions over and over again about these allegations, even though it's been, you know, thrown out as far as what we can see. And it's one of those things where it, it, it works, like you said, Aaron, it works great. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And it doesn't work in a bad, bad way. It's either win or lose in a bad way. This is really an aggressive move by the Browns. Yeah, and it's understandable to, to see, you know, a franchise that hasn't ever won a Super Bowl want to go ahead, you know, go ahead and pursue a player. Um, but the thing about this is, I mean, here, here's my thought on it. This guy didn't play at all in 2021. He didn't play at all uh, with all the allegations and stuff going on. He just didn't play. You're, you're bringing in a guy who is still very talented. Don't get me wrong. I mean, this guy can make plays happen. Um, well, he, he missed a year, so he's got a little bit of, of rust to shake off, if you will. And with all these allegations, even if they've all been thrown out, you've got to think in the back of your mind that there might be somebody else out there that may throw something at him. So what happens in that case? Do we stop him playing again? Does, you know, there's a lot of things about that that I, I think would just be, as a general manager, I'd be a little bit leery of. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's definitely – you know, where there's smoke, unfortunately, in a lot of cases, they're firing. I'm not going to state on whether a man's guilty or innocent, but I will say this much. Deshaun Watson has to handle negative attention well. Because if he does not handle that well, then the Browns are not going to do well. I'll put it like that. He's got to be able to, whether he speaks to his attorneys, whether he speaks to his representative, he gets down to steal, does this repeat over and over again, that's fine. But you're going to have to deal with this head on and move on and play because there's a lot of pressure on Deshaun Watson now, not just because he's negative allegations, but now there's a lot of pressure on you to perform because that is not part of a fully guaranteed contract in football is something that I know a lot of guys got 50, 60, 70% of it guaranteed, but a hundred percent guaranteed that is a baseball contract. And that's groundbreaking right there. Besides the amount of money to pay them, the fact that you give it a hundred percent guaranteed contract, that is a lot of pressure on you. I hope for the Browns it works out. I hope it works out after the best of this Super Bowl, of course. But I, I definitely hope the Browns uh, are doing things that will produce a winner because I feel like they do want to win. I just hope they made the right move. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. I, I see this uh, kind of similar to when the Bucks drafted Jameis Winston in the first round, the first overall pick back in 2015. Um, you knew about all the things that had gone on in the background. And, you know, obviously they put all their eggs in the basket of Jameis Winston. It didn't work out. It did work out in a sense because they were able to bring in eventually Tom Brady. 
Um, but I don't see that happening in Cleveland. I don't think Tom Brady's going to be playing that long to be, you know, going up there at some point. So, um, you know, you're absolutely right. They've got to win or at least get to a Super Bowl in the next three or four years. Otherwise, this is going to be just another big trade that didn't work out. Yeah, it, you're right. Absolutely right. This is going to be a move that it just didn't work out. If it doesn't work out, I do believe though that there is more of an upside with Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson is a playmaker. He just, like you said, he needs to shake that rust off because the main thing that you lose when you lose a, a year of playing is not so much that you age and you get old. It's just that you lose that rhythm of being in the hunt of, you know, NFL players running after you, that that, that feeling of, of pressure coming to you, quick decisions. You can't really duplicate that in normal life and in practice. So he has to kind of shake that off pretty quick and get back out there and do his thing. But I do believe that if, if Deshaun Watson could do his thing, he definitely makes the Browns a better, a better team. Oh, yeah. If we're just looking at it from a talent perspective, there's no question that he – fits uh, what they were looking for in Cleveland by a long shot. Um, hopefully it's not a, more of a distraction than it is uh, a help for their club. Now, I think that the next question that I have, and we've been asking this for a week or so now, is, um, you know, where does uh, Baker Mayfield end up? I've been hearing the Giants now might be a team that's very interested. He might might be able to go there and have some, some you know, somewhat success. Obviously the Giants are a long ways from – being a, a playoff team, at least at this point. Um, and there's a couple other places you could potentially end up. Uh, there's still the possibility of Seattle. Um, I kind of wonder if maybe the Bears might jump in, um, give them an opportunity. And then, you know, again, I mentioned this maybe a week or so ago, Pittsburgh. I know they picked up uh, – uh, who's the quarterback they got there in Pittsburgh? Used to be with the Bears. Uh, the name will come to me here in a minute. He may go there as a as – a, Central competitor, so it really it opens up the door for him to go somewhere else and be a starter again. Um, and I, I think he really wanted out of Cleveland long before we got to this point. Yeah, I, I think things were starting to unravel for the Browns and Baker Mayfield. I, that part of the equation, I think, is a good move because I do feel as if Deshaun Watson aside, I do feel as if there was some dissension between. Baker Mayfield in the Browns, and that was on both sides. I think the welcoming went in, and one of the things that I think Baker Mayfield, I hope he's really listening to this, that I, that I really think I can help Baker is that he really needs to start humbling himself. What I mean by that, a couple parts of that. Number one, you need to start humbling yourself, meaning stop feeling yourself with all these commercials. you got to make sure that you take care of your clubhouse, and your team. And then second thing is you can't be so thin-skinned. I feel as if him and his wife are back and forth, like as far as defending him in the media or defending a criticism he gets. You're wasting too much energy with that. You need to just worry about winning games, making great passes. And another thing Baker needs to do, he needs to humble himself and listen to his coaches because one of the problems I see with Baker is that he is a shorter guy and he gets his ball knocked down quite a bit. He needs to find out how to get past that. I kind of, he's like a Steve Young to me, but Steve Young had developed a way to kind of throw a ball between defenders or over defenders. I feel as if Baker is, is struggling at the partners. 
So yeah. this no, is an opportunity I, I, for him to get a restart and, and do big things. What do you thought, Darren? Well, I, I think that he is the kind of quarterback that I think if he, he would fit in with a fairly well-put-together team. I think that he is going to be better with better players versus some quarterbacks who make the players around them better. You know, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Russell Wilson, those guys, and there's a few others too, that those guys are going to play well regardless of who they have playing with them. They're going to bring up their, their players around them. I think that Baker Mayfield is kind of more in the middle where he's going to play as well as the players around him, but he's not necessarily going to make those players around him that much better, uh, if that makes sense. No, you're right. I think he needs he – needs he's a guy who is very good with great players around him and can work in a system that he doesn't have to, I feel, be the ultimate playmaker. I think it's a little bit too much to ask for him. And, and Baker Mayfield does have talent. You know, he, he's not he's – not, as bad as they may have make him sound, but he needs to work on some of those things as far as a quarterback. He's gotten better with giving interviews as far as the delivery, but he needs to humble himself a little too a, a bit much. And I think he needs to also be more willing to take a coaching too. He's starting to last year seem very uncoachable to me. And stay healthy, stay healthy too. If he can do that, I hope that this trade kickstarts him in a way that upsets him in a way in a positive way where he uses his motivation to do great in his next team because he is definitely with this uh, this trade being finalized he is definitely going to be on the move someplace yeah it wouldn't shock me to see him uh move here in the next week or so i i don't think it's going to go very much longer than that because we're only what about six weeks or so not even that from the draft um, so usually dominoes like him are going to fall before the draft happens. Uh, maybe maybe they get higher draft pick attached to him. I don't know for sure. But, um, again, I think Seattle is an obvious uh, choice. I think the Giants are an obvious choice. Um, if there's maybe a wild card team in there, I can see maybe the Falcons jumping in because they moved Matt Ryan recently. So maybe there's an opportunity for him to go there. Um, you know, the Bears would be kind of a – a long shot, I would say, at this point. And let's not forget a team like the Lions, too. I mean, they're they're obviously um, looking maybe for more of a short-term player, but that could be a good fit, too. Although the downside for him is he'd be going from a team that's notoriously lost and been better the last few years to a team that notoriously has just lost for a long time in Detroit. So that might not be the best fit. Yeah, it may not be the best fit. I think that Detroit needs a little bit too much pieces. He needs to go with a team with, similar, as you mentioned to your point, Aaron, that's already doing really well. And I think he also needs to go to a team where they have a very, very good running game. So he doesn't – he kind of, like, manages his throws a bit where you can have a great one-two punch and help him out with the running game. And then he just kind of does the thing with the passing game. I could see him being, you know – a very, very good quarterback in this league with the right placement and him making those adjustments, as I mentioned earlier. And I think he could be a great fit. And I definitely see him as a guy who wants to win. At least I give him that. You could definitely see that he wants to win games. So it's just a couple little tweaks. And in the right situation, I think Baker Mayfield will, will thrive. 
I agree. But I, I do think that he is – where he caps his talent is whoever the best uh, next player on the team is is going to be where he kind of caps his talent at. So him fitting in, you know, a place like Miami who's building, and that's my next point on the show here tonight, is, uh, you know, a, a team that has uh, kind of already set itself and just needs that quarterback to get them over the hump would be a good fit for him going forward. Now, this was a surprise move for me, Tyreek Hill going to the Dolphins for – I don't know how many draft picks it was. I think it was five picks that Miami gave up to get him. Miami is definitely throwing all their cards or all their chips in the middle of the table uh, in this uh, in this upcoming season and, of course, for the next couple of years to make a move like this. This is a great receiver, uh, one of the best in the league and probably the fastest player in the league in a lot of ways. And I think this really shows what – Tua has to do now. If Tua doesn't have a good year in 2022, Tua is probably going to be gone. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I agree with you with Tua. And with the Tyreek Hill move, I would have to say the two trades that really shocked me out of all the big moves, because there's been some big trades already, has been Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams, they're tied as far as the most shocking. Because I just didn't see that happening, you know, especially being that they got, they re-signed Aaron. And Tua already actually had a few weapons. The fact that they got rid of Tariq, and, and you're talking about a team that, you know, the Kansas City, they won a ring with him. They've been in a championship situation. Tariq Hill is a big part of that because you, his nickname is Cheetah. I mean, this is the fastest mm-hmm. guy in the league. And, it's very difficult for you to guard Tyreek Hill one-on-one. It's just, he's just so fast. And you saw how he torched the, the Bucks. I mean, 200-plus yards, and he had about 150 or 60 by halftime. You know? I mean, this guy is just a phenomenal receiver. I'm really surprised that Kansas City let him go, but I think this had to do a lot. And the reason why I say that is because you know, when it comes to football, there's his ego. I think Devontae Adams getting that number one top paid wide receiver in the league kind of pushed Tyreek in a way that, hey, you need to pay me along the lines of what, you know, you're giving Devontae Adams. And I think that caused the rift with Kansas City. Like, hey, you know, we paid our guy Mahomes all this money. We can't afford to give you that type of money. I mean, we're not going to. And I think that course of rift, and it would, would have Tyreek. Tyreek is from Miami, so that's back home for him, his hometown. And he's very familiar with Miami. Kansas City wasn't giving him the type of dollars that he wanted, and this came to fruition, that trade. I don't think this trade is made without Devontae Adams making his move. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I was uh, I was very surprised by this move, and I, you know, obviously, I didn't know he was from Miami, so it's a good fit for him to go back home. Um, you know, the interesting thing about this, I think, is uh, from this perspective, you have a super fast receiver leaving the AFC West uh, in Kansas City in Tyree Kill. He's going to Miami, and then you have Devontae Adams coming in from Green Bay to Las Vegas to make the Raiders a, a better in that area. So. That division is actually, you know, it's been Kansas City the last three or four years pretty dominantly. Now it's becoming more, there's more competition there. 
Um, I don't think Kansas City has as easy a, a ride as they had before. And you consider that might be actually one of the best divisions in football because, honestly, right now, you look at the Chiefs. You know, they're obviously going to be the favorite. But you look at now with uh, Denver having Russell Wilson. You have uh, a great receiver in Devontae Adams in Las Vegas. And then you think about the Chargers and how young they are and how fast they've gone, gotten to be a better team. This could be really a, a division that it could be up for grabs in, in 2022. So, And then on the other side, Miami, again, can't fault them for going out and getting one of the best players in the league and a guy that you mentioned before. It's hard to double cover him and be successful. So, you know, unless you're playing a, a really solid defense and, you know, even though there's a lot of those in the league, it's still a hard guy to stop. So, No, he is. Tyreek Hill is a tough guy to stop. He's a monster. He's a great target. Mahomes, just get him the ball. And that's where the pressure, to your point about Tua, the pressure's really on Tua now. Because you have to be able to get the ball to Tyreek. And that's the key. And in order for your playmakers to do their thing, you got to give them the ball. Tua has to work on his game and make sure he, he lose coverage and get Tyreek the ball. And Miami's it's amazing all the big moves Miami's making <laughs> with them getting rid of Brian Flores. It's just amazing. <laughs> all these moves that they've made in the offseason, it's almost like a completely different a different Miami altogether. Yeah, I think that, you know, you look at that franchise, they haven't had a lot of success since Marino um, in the late 90s. You know, you had Jimmy Johnson there for a few years. Obviously, at the end of Marino's uh, era, in the in the era following um, uh, following Don Shula, and you've had some pretty good big name coaches that have come through there. You've had some smaller names, that not as many people knew about. Uh, but you had uh, Nick Saban there for a couple of years. You had Ricky Williams there um, as a running back. Um, you've had a few other guys that have come through Miami. Um, I, th- I think that really they're kind of like Cleveland. They wanted to. They wanted to cash in on the opportunity. Uh, they didn't want to just build piece by piece and then slowly watch it fade away. They, they're really putting all their chips to the middle of the table. So I think the, the two teams that, in my opinion, have been the biggest and boldest this offseason so far, free agency or trade-wise, has been both Miami and you know, Cleveland, obviously, as well. Um, and I think that uh, both of those teams should be sizably better in 2022 than they were this past season. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely they're going to be a force to reckon with. I feel as if Miami's going to do some big things. And, and, you know, it's just one of those things where these type of trades, really the blockbuster trades, it's like they scratch a few heads, but they also open up opportunities for teams. And not only does the Miami have a great opportunity now because of this trade of getting Tyreek, Kansas City got five draft picks, too. Yeah, so Kansas City, I mean, yeah, they lose a great player that they've known for a while, which may have been inevitable it was going to happen at some point anyway. So now they get, you know, five draft picks. And, look, draft picks are no guarantee. Um, We've seen teams squander them before. Look at Detroit and all their bad history they had in the early 2000s and mid-2000s and basically up till now. They – just can't seem to find success no matter what they do. But, again, you look at a team like Kansas City and the way they scout and manage things, I'm sure that out of those five draft picks, at least three of those players are going to be pretty, 
pretty sizable impacts to them going forward. Yeah, yeah they, they are. And this is, this is a, you know, an opportunity, I feel, for Tom Brady and the Bucks because they, those draft picks are great, but those draft picks, with all due respect, are not Tyreek Hill, meaning the season that's coming up, even though you have a very good player, I feel that Tyreek Hill is 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 a a stud of a player. And not only is he not only is he high draft pick type of player, but he's the type of guy that can play underneath the big lights, loves the pressure. So even though you might have a guy that's that's fresh and can catch, some guys don't do well underneath that type of pressure. Tyreek Hill has proven he can. He's he's a gamer. One thing about say about Tyreek Hill which is kind of frustrating to me. This is what I'll say, and I'm hoping Tyreek Hill is listening. Tyreek Hill, you are a stud receiver. There's no doubt about it. But sometimes you've got to leave the Miami stuff in Miami. What I mean by that is I feel, and I've had this discussion with my son a lot of times because he, he loves Tyreek Hill. I love Tyreek Hill as far as playing ability. But I will say this, Tyreek, if you're listening, you need to focus more on the game, a bit more. Stop worrying about cutting back flips, doing your celebration. It's good to have fun, but you got to kind of know when it's the right time to have fun. And sometimes I feel as if that overshadows your greatness. You're so worried about how am I looking by making a flip or how am I looking by if I make this touchdown. I feel as if sometimes that is a deterrent of you catching balls. Sometimes you have a, a situation to drop a few balls that you really – a way too talented not to, but I know what you're thinking about your celebration instead of helping your team win with that simple catch. Catch first. Know when it, it's time for you to celebrate. Know when it's time for you to just hand the ball to the rest. No, that's a good point there. And there's a lot of guys like that in the league, um, you know, that uh, put the put the wrong emphasis in the wrong area. Um, and I, I do, I do think that that's you know maybe a humbling moment. And hopefully, as a change of scenery for him going to Miami, maybe he will take that a little more into consideration. Obviously, he's a great player, and he has every right to be able to celebrate that way. But you're right, you know, you got to catch the ball before you can run with it, and you got to score with it before you can celebrate. So, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so those are the big moves right. in the NFL. Yeah, those are the big moves in the NFL this week. And, hey, who knows? There may be some other big ones that happen between now and, uh, and next week's show. Um, a lot of good things going on, though, in the sports world. Uh, moving forward here, we're only two weeks away from Major League Baseball's opening day. Um, as the season is fast approaching, we're uh, right in the thick of spring training. And I actually attended a few games uh, this past weekend. Um, was down in uh, Bradenton. Saw the, the Tigers. Yeah, the Pirates. Yeah, it was it was really nice. You know, this is the first spring training game. That was the first I've been to where there was, you know, a full attendance crowd. You know, you go back to last year. I went to a couple games last year, and it was very, very limited uh, fans. And it really felt like everything was back to normal. Um, it wasn't um, everybody, you know, in a corner and trying to, you know, stay away. Obviously, people were taking the right precautions and things of that nature. But it just it felt like the world was normal for, for those few hours and had really good seats, uh, was shaded from the sun. There was a nice breeze. Um, looked, uh, Jim Leland, who was the manager of actually both teams, the Pirates and the Tigers at one point, 
uh, actually saw him uh, walking around the ballpark for a little bit. So, unfortunately, I couldn't catch up to him. But um, it was a good game. Uh, I got to see, um, you know, a lot of players that are – both those teams are really kind of in the rebuild mode. So, a lot of these are guys that are not necessarily going to be uh, household names for a while. Uh, but it was nice to get that game in. And then Sunday, I went over to uh, Dunedin, which is on the west coast of Florida, just west of Tampa. And it was actually Pittsburgh playing again. They were playing Toronto and the Blue Jays. They've made a couple of big trades, uh, a couple of big moves this offseason. They had a, a pretty good lineup, and they have a good lineup going into 2022. So it was nice to see a game at both places. Um, tomorrow, I will actually be down in Fort Myers. Uh, that's where the Red Sox train. They're hosting the Tampa Bay Rays. So I'll be there for uh, for that game tomorrow. Um going to be sitting out near their bullpens, so maybe we'll get a chance to um, talk to a couple of players before the game. Um, never sure how that'll work, but I always will try to get over to that area if I possibly can. It's a great ballpark. Uh, it's uh, basically a replica of Fenway Park. You have the big green monster in left field. It's just a really neat place to visit, so I'm looking forward to being there tomorrow. That's awesome, and, and that's the ballpark you said that they just redone. Is that correct? Uh, well, the one in uh, Dunedin where the, the Blue Jays play that one was just redone maybe a year or two ago. Um, and I'd been yeah, there before. It, it's really nice. They did a really good job of, uh, of renovating. Uh, I was there about ten years ago, and it was not bad back then. But it definitely it's now more fan friendly, uh, bigger concourses. Um, more of the amenities that you want to have in a ballpark, things that are going to help the fans, you know, want to come back. So now the one tomorrow is, I want to say it opened in 2013 or 14. It is a exact replica of Fenway Park, except it's not quite as big uh, as far as the seating is concerned. Um, I've been going down there since I want to say 2015. It's just a really neat place to visit, whether you like the Red Sox or not. It's just a nice place to go and, and see a game. Yeah, that's awesome that you went and had a great time. And, and, and you know, that's what I really love about you, Aaron, is that you really go ahead and support spring training games. You bring your family out have a great time. You check out the new stadium, check out even the old ones and see what improvements. That's awesome. When you go there with your family, what are the kids and, and, and the wife, what do they do while you watch the game? Do they just love to just hang out in the stage, eat some food, or, uh, eat hot dogs? Is there a routine they have well normally when i go to a game it depends on who all is with me but normally my uh, my my sons like to roam around the ballpark um my oldest of my two sons he is a master at getting uh the bullpen or whoever's on the throw him a baseball in fact i want to say this past wow. weekend in the two games we went to he came in with three so he, he's he's pretty good at he's kind of mastered that uh, that craft there of coming away with at least one or two. Um, I want to say about three or four years ago, we were down in uh, Fort Myers. If I remember correctly, they were playing Baltimore. So it was Baltimore and, and uh, Boston. And he came in with like four or five, including a, including a home run ball. Somebody from ba- uh, Baltimore hit a home run. He ended up getting the ball uh, from, the, from the bullpen. So um, those are always fun things. I mean, those are things you're going to remember when you're an adult and you're going to be able to tell your kids when you're – older that you used to, you know, catch fly balls or you used to catch home run balls in batting practice or, you know, you'd have the bullpen catcher throw you one after every pitcher had warmed up. So, um, and those are things you can't really do as much during the regular season because players 
are just not as accessible in a bigger stadium. So, no, you're absolutely right. And, and for for those who don't know, who've never actually been to a spring training game or been here to anywhere in the Florida area to check out a game, take it for somebody who has been to a lot of spring training games. If you want to get an opportunity to meet a player, get an autograph, get a picture, spring training is the way to be. Can you get it during the season? Yes, spring training. It is more of a chance for it to happen for you because guys are more accessible. They have, they're more laid back. Ironically, during times where they're not on the field, you know, like in between, batting practice, things like that, they're more laid back, which is surprising because some guys are, are competing for a job or competing to beat someone else out, but they'll still be in a relaxed kind of atmosphere. During the season, it's more of a routine. And more, like you said, to your point, Aaron, the newer ballparks, unfortunately, they made those ballparks and a lot of them to be anti-fan friendly. What I mean by that is once a player's on the field, sometimes it's hard for you to get to them. The sidelines where you're at, you have the netting. It just makes it difficult. Not that you can't. I've done great during the season. Not to discourage you, I've, but position, spring training is where you need to be. Yeah, absolutely. And the neatest thing I think about spring training in my mind is, especially if you follow a specific team, a lot of times you get a lot of former players that come back as maybe a, um, an honorary coach or an honorary uh, uh, person who's going to be out on the field, um, you know, helping out with uh, certain portions of the training. Um, I, I remember – Going back uh, several years ago, um, and unfortunately he passed away a little more than a year ago, Phil Necro was an honorary pitching coach uh, with the Braves, and I had a good opportunity to talk to him for about 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, there's been many other players like that over the years with different teams. So um, if you want that access, in Florida, the Grapefruit League is a little more spread out than it is in Arizona. Uh, there's a lot more distance between the, the furthest uh, north and south team. Uh, but if you're a fan of any of the teams that train here in Florida, you have a great opportunity to run across your favorite player, maybe your favorite coach or manager or broadcaster or any of those folks. In fact, uh, as I mentioned about a month ago, I got a chance to to talk and, and have a few moments with Chip Carey, who we had on our show here a little more than a year ago. So uh, there's a lot of neat things you can see. It's not going to happen as much during the regular season just because the competition has ramped up. Ballparks are bigger, there's more people, and, of course, they're not as accessible. Uh, but it is a great time right now. It is. It definitely is a great time right now to go ahead and see a ball player, have fun at the ballpark, have those memories, make it with yourself, your family, and friends. Because, you know, players now, they, they, they know that it was inevitable that this lockout happened, and they kind of now are even more accessible because they, they need you. They need you to come back. They need your presence. And you, to your point, Aaron, that it's great that you have former players that used to play, come back and be honorary and be honored and treated revered. One person I really got to give a lot of props and shout out to is Ichiro Suzuki. I definitely, I just got word that he is going to be throwing out the first pitch in the home opener. Ichiro Suzuki, congratulations to him for, for getting that honor to throw out the first pitch when they're opening, when they're playing up at home. I'll put the, I'll put the uh, post up 
so you get a chance to have that game if you intend to go to the game. But that's cool. One thing I got to say about Ichiro Suzuki is this. I will say this much about him and his playing ability. Ichiro Suzuki, to me, I feel as much as I love Pete Rose, much as I love everything that players before Pete Rose did, had Ichiro had a little bit shorter career in Japan and came here to the States, I feel as if he would have the all-time hit record. This guy blazed down the field. He was a very, very, had an awesome eye. And if you didn't feel the ball perfectly and throw it to first base, he was going to be safe automatically. So, props to Ichiro Suzuki. I do feel as if he probably would have that hit record had he played a few more years to the States. But that guy's a flat-out stud. It's cannon for an arm. And I think that guy's a once-in-a-lifetime talent. Unbelievable player. What are your thoughts on Ichiro Suzuki? Well, first of all, um, great hitter. Um, hard to defend because he could hit the ball to left. Going the other way, he hit the ball to the right. Um, he could have hit for more power if he really wanted to. Could have been a 30 home run of your guy easily if he really wanted to, but he, he wasn't into that. Um, hard to defend. I mean, he could hit the ball in a gap. He could, he could turn a double into a triple. Um, and then you talked about his arm. That's probably one of the most underrated parts of his game is he had probably one of the best arms in right field that I've ever seen. Um, in fact, there's a video if you want to go on YouTube – and just type in Ichiro makes a throw. There's a game I want to say in 2001, his rookie year, against Oakland where he threw a runner out going to third base from deep right field on the fly. So a uh, very underrated part of his game. He played really well defensively, obviously, but most people looked at him for his offense. Yeah, people look at his offense. And to your point, that's a fantastic point you made, Aaron, that Ichiro did have some pop in his back. If he really wanted to hit, like you said, 30, Maybe the 40-run home run guy, he did have the capability of doing that. That wasn't his thing. He wasn't trying to be a power hitter. He did have confidence that if you lay one out there, he definitely could hit it out. But he was more of just, you know, making good, solid contact and and getting on, on base by any means necessary. And that's one of the great things about his a very, very tough out. And, Yes, he did have power to that. He could have definitely been a 30-for-30 30 30 guy if he really wanted to. But as to your point, that's not what he wanted to curtail his game to. He found a ditch, and he ran with it. And, you know, to your point, it's just, it's just so hard to defend him from stopping him from getting on base because he, he had a very good eye. So you had to throw the ball over the plate. You had to, it had to be a strike or at least close to a strike in most cases. And in that case, if you did throw it on a plate, there was a good chance he was going to put you – he was going to – meaning you were going to have to throw him out. You were going to have to make a play. It's very hard for you to strike him out. So, great player. I have nothing but respect for Ichiro Suzuki and his arm, as you mentioned, Aaron, and his, his complete game. Man, just flat out stud. And I'm glad he gets a chance to throw that first pitch. He deserves it at that time. Yeah, I mean, and he, he, here's the thing, too. you got to remember about him. You look at when he went to Seattle in 2001, and obviously the allure to Seattle, he's from, of course, Japan, and Seattle is owned, I believe, by a partial corporation that's based out of Japan. So there's a lot of allure to him going there. 
He went to Seattle after they had lost Griffey to a trade before the 2000 season, and A-Rod had just left to go to the Rangers right before he went there. So a lot of people had kind of written off that Seattle was going to be a team to contend, and who we talked about at the very beginning of the show, Lou Pinella was the manager there that year. They won 116 or 114 games and had one of the best regular seasons in the history of the sport. So um, didn't quite get to where they wanted to go. They were trying to get to the World Series that year. But, again, a great season. He won the MVP, and he also was the Rookie of the Year in 2001. And just uh, three years later, in 2004, he set the all-time hit record for hits in a regular season with 264, I believe it was. So uh, players yeah. have absolutely changed the way the game was looked at at that point. You know, power is obviously a big thing, but this is a guy who would put the ball wherever he wanted to, whenever he wanted to. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, and that's what I love about Ichiro's game, too, is that he didn't do what the crowd did, meaning a lot of guys, they love the long ball. Even that was a popular phrase at the time, kick the long ball. Maybe a few years before that, but that's the thing. A lot of people saw it's a home run and power. It could have been easy for a guy like Ichiro, who does have pop, for him to curtail his game to that. But he stayed true to who he is. He stayed true to what he felt was going to be the most successful. That was being a very, very good contact hitter, which he was. You know, if you do swing for offenses a bit more, you're going to be prone to more strikeouts. And he did what his each row is. And he kind of made things very, very different. You know, he kind of like hit while he's kind of like running the first base in a way. So that guy's hit machine. I'm telling you, two or three years left here in the States. He would have that all-time hit record. I firmly believe that. Not only that, this guy, Ichiro Suzuki, had to do all of that. As you mentioned, Seattle has a big Japanese presence. He had to do all of this by constantly being followed by Japanese media. Yes, he played here in the States, but that guy got more attention than probably even some of the big-time players on Seattle because of the Japanese media. Yeah, absolutely. They followed him everywhere. They followed him everywhere. He was like a, me- a mob scene around him everywhere he went. Yeah, it, it was – I mean, you go back into the 90s and you look at like Hideo Nomo when he came over in, in 95. It was like that multiplied by 100 uh, for Ichiro. Um, reporters reporting back. And obviously the time in Japan and the time in Seattle are, you know, 10 hours apart. So you have these, these – um, reporters who are reporting back to Japan, and people are staying up overnight to watch him play, um, which is incredible. I mean, I remember seeing some of the some of the news stories of fans watching overseas and watching him play. So, and I, I think the, the Japanese league, honestly, if I could go over to Japan and watch the players play over there, I think it'd be a lot of fun. I think there's a lot of great players that, um, unfortunately, we don't hear about as much over here on this side of the world, just because we're you know half a world away. Um, and the only time we really hear about them is when they might be coming to the United States to play. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Because, and that's what I got to give Japanese and Japan a lot of credit for. They support their their guys. You know, they, that's the thing that I think I, I kind of wish here in the States we did a little bit more of. When you have a guy who's somebody who's a stellar player, and we don't give them as much attention that they really deserve. You know, we don't support them as much. And I love it when guys from Japan come over here 
and you get a chance to see all of the attention they get, but they get all this attention because they revere. You know, they, they, they get supported. You know, and I think that's what a lot of us as Americans need to do and take notice of. Hey, you have this guy who's from another country, but you see the support that he gets. If, it's, uh, if the tables are turned, if a guy plays in Japan from America, we wouldn't be sending a whole crew over there to, to, to follow him. And I kind of wish people did that a little bit more here in America. Yeah, and you know, the, the, uh, I remember this story, too, about Ichiro. Um, he didn't go by Ichiro Suzuki overseas. He went by Ichiro. If you notice the back of his jersey, it had his first name, not his last name, because – couple things. The name Suzuki is very prevalent over there, just like the name Smith or Jones would be here in the state. But he also was kind of like the Michael Jordan of Japanese baseball. You know, if you said Ichiro, you knew who you were talking about. You didn't have to say the name Suzuki at the end. So um, he was a great player well before he ever got to the United States. And, of course, as you mentioned, um, 3,000, almost 3,100 hits that he got here in the States. And I agree with you 100%. Had he played his entire career here, the record that Pete Rose had set would be in each row's corner instead. It would be. And I, I really love Pete Rose and and each row Suzuki. Each row was just a just a hitting machine. And so was Pete too. But I just feel as if the way each row the way he hit hit for contact, I just feel as if his game was built two hundred and sixty four hits in a in a season. And he didn't just have two hundred and sixty four hits and it's in one season, this guy was always around that 260, 230 hits. You understand? That's a lot of hits. And yeah, yeah. And he played, you know, just for a few more years. And I did want to bring this up, too, that, you know what? I just really hope that, and I pray, that Major League Baseball will let Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame. And the reason why I say it is because I had the discussion actually here at this event which we're going to have a couple of guests come on our show that are not, you know, who vanilla, but they're going to talk about that. And we actually agreed on this topic. I felt and as if, and, the, and, and also I'll, I'll let you know his name later on when we have him on our show. I also feel as if one of the patrons that was here, they're going to let Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame, but unfortunately there's a good probability to let him in the Hall of Fame when the man is passed. I said within five years of him passing, they'll put him in the Hall of Fame, which is not cool. The guy in his late 70s put Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame. Yes, he, he, he paid his price, and we give people second chances that do bad things. Pete made a mistake, but this is something that we should just let bygones be bygones with, parts are ready for this, and then some. Let the man in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I, I've always held the opinion that he should be a Hall of Fame worthy if he gets voted in. Um, as far as being able to be in the sport again in any official capacity, that's pretty much out the window uh, just because of what rules he broke, of course, uh, 30 some years ago. But the Hall of Fame, absolutely. I agree with you there. Yeah, and that's the thing. And, and that's the thing. You're going to probably put him in when he, I feel as if you're going to put him in with him, when him passing. Like, you know, do while he's here, you know, so you can enjoy it. That would make him, that would make his life, I feel, more fulfilling. And I, I hope he gets in. 
I really do. We'd love to have Pete Rose as also as a guest on our show. But you you had him on the air calling some World Series games. If you're going to have him do that, you might as well put him in the Hall of Fame. The way I look at it is like, if you're going to bestow him that type of honor with with all the people that are made to the Hall of Fame that you could have had put ahead of him or people who didn't make it to the Hall of Fame, I just think you should just go ahead and put him in. Yeah, no, that's an interesting interesting point there for sure. Yeah, so we'll talk more about that and uh, when we have some more guests come on our show. And, man, it, it's, uh, it's something that uh, baseball, I think, I think baseball will, will kind of get good, positive feedback by letting Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame. I really do. I really do feel as if they let Pete in. And, and that's a question I should ask you, Aaron. If they say we're going to put Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame yourself, I want to get your opinion on it. How do you think people would feel about it across baseball? I think there would be mixed emotions. Um I think if you open that door, you open the door to, of course, as we talked about this a few weeks back, uh, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, uh, different situations, obviously, between what they are accused of and, of course, what Pete Rose uh, was essentially found guilty of. I think the thing, and I've always said this, I think the thing that hurt Pete Rose the most is, is he lied repeatedly for 15 years before he finally came out and admitted the truth. And that may not necessarily change the outcome, but the public perception of him, I think, um, would have been a lot different had he immediately come out and said, "Yes, I did this. I shouldn't have. I'm wrong. I, I'm sorry, and I'm, you know, wanting to move forward." But he's been around the game. This is one thing people don't realize. He's been around the game a lot, even since 1989 when he was banned for life. Um, they had in 1999 the All Century team, and he was a part of the All Century team. He was at uh, Turner Field in Atlanta during the World Series when they introduced the top, I think it was the top uh, 35 or 40 players of all time, he was there, and there's a very famous interview with him and former NBC correspondent Jim Gray, where Jim Gray starts asking him all these questions regarding, you know, the gambling stuff, and he's like, look, I'm, I'm just here to celebrate being a part of this team, and they kind of went back and forth, so um, he's been around the game a lot. I think that, uh, you know, being in the Hall of Fame, I don't know what that has to do with him in his post-playing days gambling, he was already well done with his career by the time this all happened. Um, and I'll, I'll maintain this going forward. I, I, I feel like he shouldn't have anything to do with the sport as, a, as an official manager or coach or owner or any of that kind of stuff. But as far as getting in on the accolades that he earned when he was playing, that's what he should be in for. Yeah, and, and yes, I'm not saying Pete Rose is perfect. He's definitely – I've read his – you know, I went ahead and watched a lot of documentaries on Pete, and and I've actually met Pete Rose. And, and I'm not saying he's perfect, you know, but none of us are. And I, I just feel as if, you know, they've given him, like you said – and I remember that interview with Jim Gray. I felt as a person who interviews a lot of people, I kind of felt – I still feel to this day that Jim – as much as I respect Jim Gray for that, I, I respect him as, as what he does, commentator. He's very, very good at what he does. I felt as if he was out of line. I really did. I felt as if he was being a little too pushy and getting Pete to admit right in the middle of that, in that little interview 
that he bet on baseball. And he kept pressing him, and he kept pressing him about that. And, and yes, they went back and forth. I was thinking it was going to be a fist fight, in fact. You know? And it got very contentious, that interview. I remember, like, yesterday, and I felt Jim was out of place, out of line in that. And he could have asked him, and then when you seen that he was getting irritated and you kept pressing him and pressing him, like, at some point you should just – it's like Jim wanted to have, have him admit it right in the that interview, and he wasn't going to let that go. You understand? He was so dead fast, like, hey, I want you to admit it right now in this interview that you bet on baseball, <laughs> yeah. and I'm not going to let it go. And, and yes, eventually Pete did admit that he did bet on baseball after the interview. Not right after, but he did eventually, you know, after the interview, he didn't do it right in the air. And we all had a good inclination that at that point that Pete was indeed guilty, but I felt as if Jim went too far with it. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I remember some of the players, that was the Yankees and Braves World Series that year, but there was many players on both sides that refused to talk to Jim Gray for the rest of the World Series because of the way he had uh, treated Pete Rose. So, um, Yeah, I remember that too. Like, I'm glad you brought that up there. Like, he got pretty much the cold shoulder afterwards. Like, the baseball players stuck together on this one. They were like, hey, we didn't like how you were treating Pete. You were being too much, and we're going to answer your questions. And they uniformly did that for him. And even he, I remember he, he was walking away from him, and he was like, well, I talked to you because of what you did with Pete. It kind of had to suck for Jim after that. It really did. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, uh, Alan, do you have anything yeah, to add I mean, to our show here tonight? Yeah, I definitely wanted to go and and thank Mark Leitchenfeld for coming in on our show. You know, he, he definitely did a great, great job. And he was uh, Mark was definitely a person that is really knowledgeable, really smart guy, a ring announcer. If you missed that interview, check it out on our YouTube or Facebook page. You'll get a chance to, to see it there as a charity, and you'll see everything there. He's, he's a great ring announcer, so if you need a ring announcer, reach out to him. But also, if you want to learn how to invest, the guy's a really smart guy. He's an author of three books. I'm going to support him and, and get one order his book, and when I run into another boxing event, I'll get Mark to sign it. And he's a great guy, a great resource, so connect with Mark. I want to thank him again for coming on, on the Alan and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show. And then uh, we have a couple of boxing events that are going to be coming up soon. I'm still working on getting Antonio Tarver Jr. to come on our show, and I'm still working that. And, but uh, definitely there's a big fight with the Blondie Elaine. I have I got her winning, but I don't think it's going to be an easy fight for her. And I know she wants to win that championship belt, but for some reason I have a feeling that she's going to she might win this fight, but I, I feel as if she's going to be overmatched a little bit in talent. So I just feel as if I'm hoping she gets the win because I know she's really excited to get it, but it's to be determined. This one is going to be a close fight. It's kind of hard for me to, to say who's going to win the fight, but I'm praying and hoping that Elaine does win it. I would love to have her on our show. And it's going to be a, a great weekend of boxing. Also, they have the Tin Zoo fight which is somebody who uh, is coming from Australia to fight here in the U.S. at Vegas. 
So uh, I got Tim Zhu winning that fight. I don't think his competitor is quite at the same level as Tim Zhu. You know, uh, there are also weights that I felt Tim Zhu would have probably had his hands full with. I think this is a good introduction into U.S. fighting. I feel as if he's going to win his fight, Tim Zhu. And definitely I want to thank the boxing community for all their support. When I was at this event here today in Ybor City, quite a few people had mentioned to me how they really loved how we kind of, the boxing community really embraced our show. And so people in the public are starting to notice that, that a lot of boxers love to come on our show. So I want to thank the entire boxing community, whether you're from Australia, from the U.S. We, we thank everybody that's connected to boxing, whether you're ring, ring announcer, whether you're ring girl, whether you're cut man, whether you're somebody who is a doctor, we want to interview you. We want to bring light to what you do. I got a lot of respect for the, the boxers. After actually learning that from Mark, Mark, who the ring announcer did say that, hey, he gave somebody a fist bump that he was a fan of before the fight, after the fight they won. When he gave him a little fist bump, it was after he had his hands taped up, his hands were a little sweaty, but that fist bump was so hard that he felt like, man, if I got punched by that, it felt like bricks hitting me. So just imagine how much it hurts when you get hit by a punch by a pro. Just think about that. (laughs) (laughs) So, Mark, Slicing Fells, definitely it. I really appreciate you. Thanks for coming on the show. But um, I definitely got to thank Chef G's. Make sure you order a bottle of Chef G's barbecue sauce. We've tasted all four. That's me, when I say we, my whole family. Everybody loves them. My daughter loves the honey mustard. So even if you're not into barbecue, you like honey mustard, try them. Support Chef G's. Barbecue sauce. Order yourself. You, know, you can buy either the whole case of four. You get a little bit of discount, or you can buy them individually. Well worth it. If you ever met Chef G, who I had breakfast with on Saturday, I really appreciate you, Chef G. You're the man. I love you to death, Chef G. Order a case of Chef G's barbecue sauce. Yeah, absolutely. You'll, you'll definitely love it for sure. Um, as someone who's a, a barbecue lover, it definitely is great stuff for sure. So, Alan, it's been a great show tonight. I want to also thank our uh, our good buddy Lou for spending a few minutes of his evening. Uh, early happy birthday to him again. And uh, we'll be back again, uh, same time, same place, uh, in uh, in uh, next week, rather, and Another great show. We'll have a lot of great news to talk about again uh, in uh, in a week. That's right. All right. So for uh, for Lou and for Alan, this is Aaron signing off. Have a great weekend, everybody. Lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.